Well, it's exciting. The things that God is doing at the moment, very, very exciting. I want to preach to you a message today and next week I'm going to continue entitled Proclaiming Christ in Society. The last two Sundays I've preached this message in Johannesburg, but I also want to do it for you here. Amen. And that's how we're going to be rolling quite a bit nowadays. My wife is ministering that side, a powerful message on how God leads, right? And as you, as you grasp that message, catch it on YouTube or um, probably on SoundCloud because they're doing an audio recording that side. Extremely powerful. She's not going to be preaching it here, so you can actually catch it. And she'll be doing that that side over the next uh, couple of weeks. So we're talking this morning about proclaiming Christ in society. One of the things I've realized is that often we can be very evangelistic and we say to people, go and preach the gospel. But then you hear one person speaking and it's got lots of weight. And you hear another person speaking and there's no authority. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And I want to show you today what shifts you can make in your life in order to ensure that what comes out of your mouth is full of weight and full of authority. How many of you would like that? Okay, we want whatever comes out of our mouths to be full of weight. And when I talk about spiritual weight, I'm talking about the glory of God. If you look in the Hebrew, it's the word kabod, which literally means heaviness or weight. Okay, the kabod of God. I want God's glory to fill my words, right? I want that. What shifts have to take place in my life to ensure that this takes place? And so this morning, I'm going to cover six shifts. And next week, I'm going to cover six more shifts. So there are 12 shifts in total. And I encourage you to get the prayer strategy from the website. All right, you can do that by, I think, this evening or tomorrow morning. And actually pray these shifts into your life. So how many of you like the, context, the, the, the concept of proclaiming Christ? How many of you like that word proclaim? Right? It's a powerful word. And many times we think to proclaim is just to preach. Or we think to proclaim is to just to say. It's not that. In the, in the Greek it's the word keruso. And it literally means an official announcement. An official announcement. It's got a sense of formality to it. It's got a sense of gravity to it. It's got a sense of authority to it. It means publishing something that must be listened to and obeyed. To proclaim is to publish something that must be listened to and obeyed. And many Christians today will go around saying things, but there isn't the weight of authority where people feel this conviction, I have to obey this thing. Amen? And so I want to go deep with you today and next week into this thing of getting weight onto what we say. You see, in the old days, olden days, what would happen is if the king or the president wanted people to do something, they would have what we call a town crier or a herald. And that person would go on horseback and they'll go around the village, around the towns. I'm sure you've seen it in certain movies. And they'll basically call a meeting, you know. Or they might say there's a census which is going to be taking place. Everyone needs to be available. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it in the movies, haven't you? Right? And everyone had to obey and the citizens would gather together and they would listen to what the king has to say, whatever announcement it is or edict and, and so on. Proclaiming is that. That's what a herald does. They proclaim. 
How many of you want to be in a place in your life where you can go into an industry and make certain declarations and you see them coming to pass? How many of you want to be in a place in your life where you can speak to your extended family and under the anointing say certain things and they come to pass or people feel this conviction that they need to listen to you because what you're saying is coming from the Lord. We all want that, don't we? Now, there are six things I'll share with you this morning that shift us to that place. The first thing I want to establish, it's not the first shift. I just want to establish this. What are we proclaiming? Because you can say to a whole lot of people, go, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. But some people have their own gospel. Amen? And in about three weeks, two or three weeks, I'll be sharing with you how do you discern? How do you discern between false prophets and true prophets? What's our position on that? How do you discern between what's fake and what's real? How do you actually choose what church do I go to? Okay? It's important because Christians need to be taught these things. So we will cover that in about two or three weeks. Because I know people are like, what's the church's position on this? Oh, what does Pastor Paul think of this? I know that's what you're thinking. Okay, so just to get that out of the way, in, in, in about three Sundays time, not next Sunday, the following Sunday, two Sundays time, right? We'll be, I'll do a whole message on that, unpacking some of these things, right? Um, Galatians 1 verse 6 to 8 says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is important to understand because there are many people who call themselves Christians, but when you discern and you actually unpack what they preach, you realize that this isn't the gospel. This is a different gospel. Amen? Anyone can get up and from the pulpit say nice things from the Bible. It doesn't mean it's the gospel, people. It doesn't mean it's the gospel. All right? So here's the thing. You can start off well, but then go off the rails. That's why it says here, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. In other words, these were people who were in Christ, but they were now deserting Jesus. When you move to another gospel, you're deserting not just the gospel, but you're deser deserting Jesus. Now watch this. It says, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. When the true gospel is not preached, we're confused. People get confused. People are like, ah, but, but it seems like, but, but this part of the person's message was so powerful and it blessed me and it's helping me in my marriage. But then there's also this now, right? So people end up confused and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, this is a very strong statement. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. That's very serious. And what I've seen on the African continent is we've re we're very flexible and relaxed about a lot of things. Ah, no, yeah, yeah, that was a bit of heresy, but it's, it's okay, it's okay. Don't judge, no one is perfect. And yet Paul the Apostle says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. In Galatians 3 verse 1, it says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
The Bible talks about doctrines of devils, doctrines of demons. That's why when someone is involved in a cult or a sect, have you noticed that if you try and convince them, very often you're like, you end up confused. You end up wondering, ah, but this person, how can they believe A, B, C, D? But they've got a PhD. You know what I'm talking about, right? But this person is smart. They, people look up to them at work and everything. I'll tell you why. The Bible says that they will be doctrines of demons and and. People with itchy ears will want that because, oh, it's a nice formula. Oh, it will give me my 24-hour miracle. Oh, if I do this with this person, I'll get married tomorrow. My husband is coming. Doctrines that are demonically inspired. And it says here, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You remember what Pastor Stewart mentioned during the, during the communion? Christ crucified. That's all I want to know. Christ crucified. Everything we preach when we go from here should be Christocentric. Christ should be at the center of all that we do. Amen? If ever there comes a time when you come to this church and you, you see us focusing more on manifestation and other things that seem really nice, but we are not talking about Jesus and what he did on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Please challenge us on it. Amen? Don't be afraid to say, and you can do it in a nice, humble way. Pastor, um, maybe, maybe there's a gap in my life. Maybe there's something I missed out. Maybe there's some messages I didn't see. But in the last three Sundays, I haven't heard the mention of Jesus. I, I just wanted to find out. Give me understanding. You can couch it in a nice, humble way. Okay. But we must point people to Jesus. No one else, nothing else. Amen. Galatians 5 verse 4 says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You have fallen away from grace. The moment you start trying to be justified by something else that is not the cross of Christ, you are now falling away from grace. That's how serious it is. We cannot rely on our own works. The gospel, what does gospel mean? It's good news. Amen. We have to be Christocentric. You cannot save yourself. So now that we've established what the gospel is, let's talk about the shifts that will make this message weighty. You want to hear the shifts. Number one, there is a shift in your citizenship. If you want to be someone who truly proclaims Christ with weight, you have to have the revelation that there's a shift in citizenship. What do we mean? What are we talking about? Let me just show you in scripture. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, very powerful. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. This is what Paul the apostle says. But our citizenship is in heaven. I'm not even going to go into the rest there. What is significant is he's writing to the church in Philippi. Now the interesting thing about Philippi, it was a significant city on, on your way to Rome. In that particular area, there were a lot of retired generals there, and they'll be given land and so on. Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul was in a space where when he was here, when he was in Philippi, he was actually in prison at the time, right? One of his prison epistles. 
right, was written while he was, was, while he was in jail there. He was a Roman citizen. He knew the benefits of being a Roman citizen. That's what everyone wanted. I'm a Roman citizen. Do you remember when he was flogged? And then he says, you guys can't just send me out quietly. You arrested me in public. You flogged me in public. You can't just send me away publicly now that you know that I'm a Roman citizen. Okay? He knew all the benefits of being a Roman citizen. And that's why it's so significant that to the Philippians, as he writes this letter, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. It's very significant. He's basically saying, you know what? The citizenship of heaven far outweighs Roman citizenship. How many of you know that when you're a citizen of heaven, there are benefits that come with that? And a lot of people don't know what those benefits are. Let me give you an example. If someone is an American citizen and they come to South Africa as the ambassador, how many of you know that you cannot arrest an ambassador? If, if an ambassador is doing dodgy stuff, you can't just go and arrest the person unless diplomatic immunity has been wavered. All you can do is say, we know what, we would like to send you back to your country. That's the, that's the ambassadorial anointing, if you, want, if you want a term for that. And how many of you know that if you're a citizen of heaven and you're operating here representing Jesus, you're an ambassador of Christ? Is everyone following this morning? And how many of you know that there are things that are earthly that you cannot be arrested by? Are you catching what I'm saying? I'm speaking metaphorically. So sometimes we're like, I ah, know I'm human too. That's why. I ah, know I'm also you. I know. Oh, this sickness that has come upon me. These things happen. Oh, this is. Oh, we're going to remain in this type of poverty. Hey, it happens. We're living in South Africa. Now you can receive that and have faith for those negative things if you want. But I want to be in a place where I say, I'm a citizen of heaven. And as long as I'm here, I'm not of the world, although I'm in the world. How many of you have watched Taken 2? You can raise your hand. I've watched it, I think, a couple of times. Okay. Hey, in church, church folk. Is it okay? Oh, you're not in trouble or anything. It's quite a cool movie. We've, uh, we've watched it a couple of times. Do you remember it's based in Istanbul? Remember when they're in Istanbul? Liam Nielsen, Nielsen and so on, right? And he's with his daughter. And they're running away from these people who are shooting at them, going after them and so on. And where do they go for safety? They ramp their vehicle and they get to the U.S. Embassy. That's where they go. And no one can attack them there. Why? They were American citizens. You see, when you see God as your strong tower, as your fortress, you can basically hide in heaven on earth. You can be in that place of immunity where you say, you know what, I am in Christ Jesus. The scriptures tell me that I've become one with Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ Jesus. Devil can't touch me. And let me tell you something, when you have that revelation of the shift in citizenship, when you proclaim Christ from that place, it has weight, it has authority. Amen. If you are there and you're kind of half in the world, half outside the world, you're not too sure and so on, when you try to proclaim Christ, it won't have weight. Having weight and authority is crucial. That's why when we speak of Jesus, what does it say? It says, the people marveled when he spoke. Because it says, he spoke as one with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees, they had lots of knowledge, but they had no authority. Jesus came in 
and he spoke as one with authority. Amen. And we want to we wanna be like that. So my question to you is, do you know the full benefits of your heavenly citizenship? Do you know? Paul must have known because he emphasized that over his Roman citizenship. What I've realized about earthly citizenship is a bit dodgy at times, isn't it? Because sometimes you think you're a citizen, but you're not really. Come on, guys. You, you know what I'm talking about. What's one of the rights of citizens? It's the right to vote, isn't it? In South Africa, women could only vote in 1933 elections. We're not going to talk about black people, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just talking about women for now. In America, it was 1920 when women got the vote. Were they called citizens? They were called citizens, but it was limited. Are you hearing me this morning? We've got friends. Some of you remember them, Zembes. You remember them, Zembes? Ivy and Mozart. They're in Uganda at the moment. Okay? Nyaradzo has joined us. Their daughter Nyaradzo has joined us at the Joburg Church, by the way. Okay? So she started working this year. She graduated as a lawyer. So I was one of her referees and so on for that. And what is interesting is she shared with me and she said, initially, all the jobs she was applying for, a lot of them. Now, she's brilliant. She was head girl at Brescia. Okay? She is outstanding. She says, all the jobs I'm applying for, a lot of them, they say, you need to be a citizen of South Africa. Never mind if you're perm res or whatever, you need to be a citizen. So she said, well, we received our citizenship by naturalization. So we're now citizens. But even when I came forward with all my qualifications and so on to some of these organizations, they said, no, 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 you need to have been a citizen pre-94. You know what I'm talking about? Are you hearing me this morning? Nations are dodgy. I don't care who hears me saying that, home affairs or ever, ministers... <laughs> Nations are dodgy when it comes to citizenship because they say you're a citizen, but not really. I want you to know this morning, when you're a citizen of heaven, there are no qualifications. As long as you're born again, you're a citizen of heaven. When you claim those promises, God doesn't look and say, ah, but you've only been a Christian for two years. Just give it another year or two, then we'll see, we'll review the situation. They don't do that. You're either a citizen of heaven or you're not. There are only two kingdoms, ladies and gentlemen. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's no demilitarized zone. Are you hearing me this morning? And what we see happening is with nations, it's like, yeah, yeah, no. Um, yes, you, you can vote in elections, but as long as you come back to your home country and vote. Any Zimbabweans here? If I'm a Zimbabwean citizen... Why do I have to be in my country to vote? Why can't I vote from outside? So the fact that I'm outside the country, I'm being punished for being outside the country. And by the way, it's not just Zim that's like that. Many countries are like that. You can actually do a study of it in terms of different countries. A lot of countries are actually, actually like that. Some will say you have to have... Um, left the country only for a certain period. And I sort of understand that, you know, sometimes there are people who've been away for years and years and years and they don't really care about the country and then they now sort of do their thing. But why should it cost me to vote? Why should I have to fly back or drive back or whatever it is just to vote? Are you hearing me? So we see that we are citizens 
of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Do you remember the daughters of Zelophehad in the book of Numbers? You see, when it came to property rights in the Old Testament, property rights were limited. Inheritance rights were limited when it came to women. You know what I love about Jesus? When you look in the New Testament and he says, you know, you are joint heirs. When Paul the Apostle says, you are joint heirs. So treat your wives properly. Because, yes, they're female, but you're joint heirs in Christ Jesus. One of the things the gospel actually does, it redeems women in terms of inheritance and their rights. In the book of Numbers, we see the daughters of Zelophehad. I don't know if you remember the account, but basically they didn't have any siblings, any male siblings. And their father died, and these guys were just basic, these ladies were just left, the five of them. They were so bold, they went up to the leadership assembly where Moses was there and all the leaders. And they basically said, you know what? Can you also give us our land so that our father's name remains? We also want our land. And Moses prayed. And what did God say? He says, that's the right thing to do. Give these women their inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? That's the heart of the gospel. If you go anywhere and you see women being oppressed and being treated like they're second-class citizens, I'm telling you that aspect of whatever that environment is, it's not kingdom. We've got different roles. God has wired us differently. Men and women are not the same in terms of that, but in terms of our inheritance in Christ Jesus and who we are in Christ, men are not superior to women. Are you hearing me this morning? So these ladies, these five ladies were very bold and they got their inheritance. I want to encourage you this morning, embrace your citizenship, your heavenly citizenship. The second shift that takes place is a shift of assignment. How many of you, when you became a Christian, had a revelation that there's an assignment, there's a calling that you have? There's something that you've been called to. How many of you can say, I'm very clear about what Jesus has called me to? You're called, you're called to a specific place and to specific people. Who have you grown to really care about? Who has God given you a burden for? In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 7, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So the Holy Spirit can keep you from doing good things in the wrong place. Someone is going to get this this morning. Is preaching the gospel bad? Is proclaiming God's word bad? It's a good thing, isn't it? But he says that having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Do you know what the devil's strategy against you is? He knows that you're not going to stop doing good. So he's going to try to get you to do good things in the wrong place. But these guys were so close to the Holy Spirit... They were in a space where they said, the Holy Spirit had kept us from doing that particular thing. Could it be that maybe you're not experiencing certain fruit in your life that's good fruit because you're not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? 
If I want my proclaiming of Christ to be fruitful, I need to proclaim him where he has called me. Can you see that? I need to proclaim Christ where God has called me to do so. Otherwise, I might keep on going to places where he has not assigned me to go. And you see, many of us, we like to do the funky stuff. But the funky stuff is not always what God wants us to do. Look at this. This is, this is very powerful. Don't let the enemy rob this from you. In verse 7, it says, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So twice we see the Spirit of Jesus not allowing them to do certain things. And this is where we need discernment to know, is this the devil stopping me and I must rebuke the enemy? Or is this the Spirit of Jesus not allowing me? It requires maturity. Amen? So there's a shift in assignment. There's a shift in assignment. If you want to transform society supernaturally, you have to operate within the spiritual jurisdiction that God has assigned you to. In Acts chapter 16 verse 9, look what happens straight afterwards. You might think, ah, the Spirit was just stopping them, stopping them, stopping them. But look what the Spirit does. In verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. That was the Spirit of God leading him. And it's interesting because this Macedonian man said, help us, come and help us. And Paul knew that this is helping you by proclaiming Christ. You see, what tends to happen is sometimes we go to the right place, but we haven't got a revelation of what to do when we're in that place. Have you noticed that? We don't know what to do. My question to you is, how have you been called to proclaim Christ? Have you been called to proclaim Christ through song? Have you been called to proclaim Christ through poetry? Do you know the difference between your talent and your calling? Because what often happens is we confuse the two. Someone might be talented as a singer, but their calling is to bring deliverance to the next generation. So the singing opens a door for the calling. Everyone get that? The talent isn't always the calling. The talent might be a door opener. Some of you confuse the two. How have you been called to proclaim Christ? As you know, I do a lot of marriage counseling. And the Lord spoke to me quite recently and said, the business I've given you is your leadership coaching. But I've given you a ministry, not as a business, as a ministry in terms of marriage coaching. And the reason I've given that to you is to activate revival in households. And what I've found powerful is often when I'm ministering to couples, couples that are unchurched, couples that are backslidden, will be talking about their marriage dynamics. And I come out of the session and people are saying, where's your church? I come out of the session and people are saying, I think what we need is we need to grow spiritually. I really want spiritual development. Can you see what's happening? The thing that I'm doing is opening doors to activate revival. That's what it's like for me. 
My question to you is, what is it for you? What is it for you? God's will will never take you where his grace cannot sustain you. So ask God to open your eyes in that situation. Maybe you bake for people. Lord, how can I proclaim Christ in this context? What assignment have you given me, Lord Jesus? That will be your place of fulfillment. Fulfillment doesn't come from what you acquire. Fulfillment comes when the stuff that is inside you gets out. And as long as that stuff that's inside you right now isn't coming out, you won't, fulfill, you won't feel fulfilled. You won't feel happy in life. I'm going to give you some questions to help you in discovering your assignment. What do people ask you for advice? People just come to you. You're the go-to person for that thing. What are you the go-to person for? What compliments do you receive the most? Even if it's to do with your hairstyle or your sense of fashion and so on. Because you'll find a key there. Maybe you're the type of person who knows how to make plain things look beautiful. What comes to you easily without much training? Maybe you're good at listening to people. Maybe you're good at hospitality. Maybe you're good at baking. It just comes to you so easily. What can you get up at 2 a.m. for? If I say, can you please do A, B, C, D, but it's at 2 a.m., you're willing to do that without complaining or grumbling. What's that thing for you? It says something about how God has wired you. What is that? Proclaiming Christ doesn't have to happen from the pulpit. People, there are many creative ways we can proclaim Christ, but we must be proclaiming Christ. Amen? What do you get so absorbed doing that you lose track of time? Recently, my wife had been praying for some people and so on. And then she said to me, phew, time just flew. I lost track of time. I was praying for so-and-so about this, praying for so-and-so about this. I was praying for this. And I said, well, that's what God has called you to as a watchman. So, of course, you'll lose track of time. And, of course, I joked with her. I said, you know, sometimes when we're in church doing baby dedications, just be careful, you know, because there's a time limit and so on. Right? So we'll joke about that. But that's what it's like for her. What about for you? What can you do where you lose track of time? People have to call you and say, it's supper time now, come. What is that for you? What is that thing where you do it with minimal effort? It's so easy for you to do it, but the results are phenomenal. What's that thing? You know you're anointed for it because it comes easily to you. That's one of the ways of finding out what God has anointed you for. It's not because you're necessarily so talented. It's because God's grace makes things easier for us. And people say, ah, it's so easy. I can do it. It's because you've been given the grace to do it. If that grace lifts, you'll have problems. So we must always give God the glory. Amen? What is that aspect of your life where people come and say, thank you for that hard work. Thank you for the sacrifice. We're so, so grateful. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know you were just winging it. You just winged it. It was easy for you. But the impact was great and everyone is like, oh, all that hard work, all the many hours. But for you, it was easy. You were energized as you were doing it. Why? Because you were made for that. You were anointed for that. Amen? Ask yourself in all these different areas, 
How can I proclaim Christ in those contexts? So what is the first shift? Shift in citizenship. Then there's power, there's weight in what we say. The second shift was a shift in assignment. My assignment has changed. Why? I'm in Christ Jesus and I'm a citizen of heaven. I've been commissioned by God. The third shift is a shift in association. A shift in association. When you become a Christian, you've got your primary people you associate with. And then you've got the people you associate with because you're reaching them for Christ. Many people confuse this. When I counsel lots of people and I coach lots of people, a pattern I've seen is a lot of people never change because they're not willing to change their primary associates. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you say to me, Paul, I'm a citizen of heaven, there must be a difference in your primary associates. I was counseling some people recently and the wife had a concern. In fact, it was multiple people. The, wife, the wives had concerns because of who the husband was hanging out with. And they're saying, my husband has got this best friend. And I said, maybe you are jealous. And I said, are you jealous of this best friend? Because your husband is like, I only see him uh, once every two months. And he's my mate. So I really want to see him. And this lady was saying, yeah, it's a bit tough for me because, you know, he comes and he's like, oh, this guy's so hardworking. His work ethic is amazing. And I'm like, and I'm like so are you jealous? Why, aren't, why doesn't that encourage you? But when we started digging deeper and I started asking questions about this friend, I knew why the wife had issues. When we counsel couples, one of the big marriage destroyers is when you're not willing to change your associates if your spouse disapproves of them. I counsel people and you people, you know, I had these friends before I married my wife. These friends will always be, I'm loyal, Paul, so I'm not willing to change that. It sounds funny, but it's, it's, for, it's a pattern. The researcher in me like, wants to actually see like, how often this thing happens. You're not a bachelor anymore. Amen? I'm just hearing ladies saying, Amen. <laughs> and also you ladies. I've also had guys who will say, hey, you know what the problem with my wife? She hangs out with these people and these people and these people. And they're cheeky to their husbands. And I notice each time she spends time with them, she changes her attitude towards me. And I can see she's been with them. You know, they say those kinds of things. So ladies, you're not off the hook in terms of this one. There's a shift in association. My key question to you, are you spending a few hours with people you should only be spending a few minutes with? Are you spending a few hours with people you should only be spending a few minutes with? And the converse is true. Are you spending a few minutes with people you should, only, you should actually be spending a few hours with? Often someone will say, I want that corner office one day in 10 years time. Then I say, do you spend time with those people? Ah, no, Paul, I've got my boys, I've got my boys. Why can't you spend time with those people? Eh, Paul, they're in another league. You've just shown me you'll never get there. Because you only want to spend time with people who aren't as successful as you. So that it boosts your ego. You know there are people like that, right? Where they're always the advisor. They're the ringleader. Someone else I was coaching recently. And the wife had issues because she was like, my husband is the ringleader. He was even telling me that, the guy. I think he likes that about himself. I'm the ringleader in my circle of friends and so on. 
And she was like, he likes that. He likes that whole thing. There's some people who only spend time with people who look up to them. They don't know how to be in a position where they can actually sit down with someone in a meeting, keep quiet, zip it, and just listen and learn. It's not part of their identity. All right? Now, as we go deeper into this, I want to show you a shift in association in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, verse 13 to 15, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman of the city of Tyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Any dealers in purple cloth here? I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. All right. She was a worshiper of God. There are some people who are worshippers of God, but they're not yet born again. And we need to reach them. People, we need to reach them. I'm talking about religious people who know there's a God out there, but they don't have a revelation of Jesus. So she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. What did Paul do? He was proclaiming. She opens her heart. She gives her life to the Lord. It says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So there's now a different category of people she's inviting to her home because she's now a believer. What does she say? She says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Because she was now in Christ Jesus, on that basis, her associates changed. Is everyone following? My question to you is, now that you are in Christ Jesus, what's changed? What's changed about who you give your best amount of energy and your best amount of intellect and emotions to? The Bible tells us, do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Some people can say, ah, no, no, we, we open to people. It doesn't matter what tribe, doesn't matter the color of their skin, because we go to church together. It's not about just going to church together and singing Gumbaya and sitting in the same row. It's about who do I invite to tea afterwards. I'm going to do a message in a few weeks on deeper community. I'm going to show you that there are deeper levels of community that we can get into that are irresistible. When unsaved people see, it's like they want to be a part of it. Amen. There are people we meet who are worshippers of God, but they're not yet born again. Who's your Lydia? Who's that person in your life who's now become saved and they're saying, come to my house? And God is saying, do it. Do it. You know, some people have got this thing of, yeah, but Jesus hung out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and all those people, so I'm going to just do the same thing. You know what? Here's the thing. Jesus was always the dominant influence in those environments. When you look at his narrative, he was very targeted in terms of his agenda with those people. But Jesus had his primary associates. Amen? He had the primary people he moved around with. It was his disciples. And then there were times when he was now interacting with these people to reach them. Interacting with these people. 
So don't tell me, yeah, it's fine. You know, the reason, Paul, Paul, the reason why I hang out with that particular person, I know is a womanizer and is a drunkard and all of that kind of thing. But I hang out with them on weekends, spend hours with them. The reason I do it is, you know what? I'm the closest Christian friend he's actually got. And if I abandon him, oh, what will happen to him? So I'm saying, what progress is he making? I'm saying, has he come to any of our business seminars? Amen. The next shift that we need to make is a shift in confrontation. It's an, a shift in what we confront. You see, many of us spend so much time arguing and fighting over petty things. And so we've got no time to really confront the enemy. We're confronting the wrong stuff. Your husband isn't your enemy. Your wife isn't your enemy. The devil is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. We know the word says that. Amen? Your children are not your enemy. So why are you always fighting? With, recently with certain couples, I've actually said to them, guys, you need to decide. Are you going to stay together? If you're going to stay together, then love each other wholeheartedly. Don't keep bringing up the past. Love each other. And if you're going to move on, then move on. But don't do what we call relationship ambivalence. You know when people are living like two ships passing each other by. Just because they really want to protect this image of, you know, we're a perfect family. We're really cool. We've got no issues. Get over yourself. If you've been married, be married and love your spouse. Forgive each other. If you feel like, oh, this is just too, too much. This guy has cheated on me too many times and so on. There's no grace available for me to stay on in this thing. Then move on. Biblically, there's nothing wrong in that context. Then move on with your life. Are you hearing me this morning? Otherwise, you know, I speak to some couples, I say, oh, so your husband did this and this and this. And each time I speak to you, you're complaining. He's now done this and this and this. And now this and this and this. And then now this and this and this. And I say, so why are you still here? Because you're just creating a prison for this person. Because you keep moaning, whining, and so on. Yes, bad things happen to good people. But decide, do I want to be married? If I want to be married, then I must love this person and forgive this person. Amen? Otherwise, you, you keep sinning. You actually sin in your marriage situation because resentment builds up. I don't know why I'm saying this. Resentment builds up and then you start doing the very things that your husband is doing. I'm being serious. I've counseled people where you'll find a woman then saying, saying, yeah, then my husband did this. Then he cheated on me like this. Then he did this, this, this. Then he did this. Then towards the end of the session, what comes out is, yeah, then I also did some of it. Serious things. Have you confessed it to your husband? He, no, he told me that he will kill me. You'll literally murder me if I ever. Do you know what's just happened to that person? It's called a bitter root judgment. With the same measure you judge another person, you'll be judged. So you're like, nya, 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 like a conductor. Nya, 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 nya. And after a while, you are now doing the same thing yourself. Forgive him. Release him. Otherwise, he remains in a situation where it's like he's in a prison. And then he starts thinking to himself, you know what? I actually want out. Amen? I'm seeing some uncomfortable looking faces. I didn't know some of you had those mannerisms, actually. 
You know? Phew. It's like your faces are doing remixes. You know those remixes from the 90s? Those of you who grew up in the 80s and so on, we would show off. I remember we traveled to Mauritius, then we came to school and so on, and I had World Dance Mega Mix 1990. I had that as a 15-year-old. Said, guys, I've got World Dance Mega Mix 1990. Some of you, your faces are doing those World Dance Mega Mixes there. Okay? Anyway, what's important is that we confront the devil. And we don't waste our energy continuously arguing, fighting. And we've got nothing left for the spiritual warfare that we're supposed to be doing. What do you argue about? What do you attack? Often we fight the wrong things and leave the true enemy untouched. One of the key life questions is, what am I going to fight? What am I going to spend my energy fighting? In Acts chapter 16, there's a very interesting narrative here. Verse 16 to 21. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we, met, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is an interesting one. This female slave had a spirit by which she predicted the future. When people go to your sangomas, your fortune tellers and so on, they're not understanding that they're dabbling with demons. When people say, oh, it was just my grandfather prophesying those things, my, my dead grandfather just speaking, and what he was saying was so true. It's not your dead grandfather, it's a demon. But of course, if that demon comes out and says, I am an ugly demon from the pit of hell, you're not going to be going and saying, okay, ugly demon from the pit of hell, let's talk. So the deception and why a lot of people get into ancestralism is because that demon, which is a lying spirit, manifests even with the same voice as your dead grandfather had. And then people think like, ah, so it's all good. It's my dead grandfather who I'm missing. Are you hearing me this morning? So this lady prophesied by a spirit. And let me tell you this. You can go to a church venue that looks just like this. That has wonderful praise and worship. But you can have someone who calls themselves a pastor. And the person can figure out certain details about yourself. Right? But working through a spirit of divination. And, and there's what we call mixture. And I'm going to talk about this in a couple of weeks when I talk about false prophets and true prophets. There's what we call mixture. Where there are actually times when someone can prophesy by the Spirit of God. And then on another occasion, they allow, because of the flesh, and I'll go into detail about that, a spirit of divination to be operating. So you can have in one room certain things happening where some of the things is genuine Holy Spirit. And then a whole lot of other stuff, there's a contrary spirit operating. Is everyone following? Now people look at that and say, how does that happen, Paul? How does that happen? They had this slave girl and she was actually with them. And she was saying certain things that were sounding very spiritual. And the things she was saying were actually correct. But she was doing it by another spirit. So imagine someone who's watching this happening. They're seeing Paul the apostle preaching the gospel. But there's this slave girl following them. People are looking and thinking, maybe she's part of this crowd. Maybe she's part of Paul's team. Maybe there's some people here who are part of Paul's team. Jokes. 
They even sneak in to churches. They might even be seated right next to you. No, jokes, jokes, jokes. Don't get nervous, don't get nervous. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. It, and this is so powerful when you unpack it. It says, she was a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners. There's always a money trail. Let me just, let me just say that. There's always a money trail. If you just follow the money, follow the money, follow the money, then you often see the stuff. Anyway, she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us. Luke was writing, right? Luke wrote the book of Acts. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, if you had someone in your workplace doing that, you'll be thinking, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with this person. No, it can't be the devil because what they're saying is true. You might even feel flattered by the individual, but it says she was prophesying through another spirit. You see that? Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, how many of you would have discerned That there's a demon spirit that's behind these wonderful, truthful things that are being said. What happened is Paul had a relationship with Jesus where he was close to Jesus, close in his walk with the Holy Spirit. There was something that was grating him about what this person was doing. Often the demonic likes to draw attention to itself. Even in meetings and so on, where there's something demonic, likes to draw attention to itself, likes to disturb meetings and so on. And you have to have that type of discerning of spirits that says, even though what this person is saying is true, there's something not right here. Amen? And I can tell you stories about that. I'll tell you sometime. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Right? It goes on to say, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Here's my question. What is the love of money stopping you from doing? Because they carried on doing what they knew was wrong because they were making money. What annoys you? What troubles you? Where you just know there's a contrary spirit here. This is not right. Are you willing to confront it? Or do you just want to keep the peace? For some of you, God is taking you to a place where you begin to confront things you haven't been confronting. Things in your family that you haven't been confronting. Where you need to speak up and not fear man. Amen? She was functioning with a religious spirit. When we talk about a religious spirit, I'm not talking about something that's good. I'm talking about something that keeps people from Jesus. Some people seem nice on the surface. But with spiritual discernment, you can pick up that there's a contrary spirit at work here. And I love the way it says, Paul rebuked that spirit. Not the girl. He was gentle with the girl. But he rebuked the spirit because he saw this is the thing that is tormenting her and being used. The fifth shift. There's a shift in what you do or how you respond. When you become a citizen of heaven, you change your response to situations. Where everyone in the country is complaining, you're singing praises. My question to you this morning, 
Are you responding like the world? Are you responding in the same way everyone in the workplace responds? If you look at Paul the Apostle, and this is so powerful, you see him doing different things. Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 28. These guys had just been flogged. They're now in prison. Typically, people will be offended with God, complaining, whining. What does it say? It says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So they must have been doing so loudly. They weren't ashamed. And then the miracle happened, and supernaturally, they were released from prison. For me, that's so powerful because it shows me that even though they'd just been flogged, their response wasn't whining and complaining. Their response was, we're going to praise God all the more. And it says that the prisoners were listening to them. They must have been mind boggled. They must have been wondering, huh? You guys, this God you're preaching about, the result is you're now in prison. You're now in jail and you're praying and you're singing these hymns. I want to encourage you right now. If you want to proclaim Christ with weight, with power and with authority, it's important how you respond to difficulties. You do different things. Are you going through a difficulty with your child? Are you going through a difficulty in your marriage? Are you going through challenging times in the workplace? What are you doing? Are you praising God all the more? Or are you a weak, flimsy, boneless, toothless believer who just whines and groans and complains? Like many believers on the African continent who've got a consumerist mentality when it comes to Christianity. We must be producers, not consumers. The consumerist mentality is the mindset that says, I'm coming to church for a blessing. I'm coming to church for me and my blessing. I'm getting my blessing today. And it's limited to that. God has already blessed you. It's up to you to receive it. But we come on Sunday to be equipped so that we're effective ministers of the gospel out there. Not people who just want a motivational message on a Sunday. Hi, as long as you boost me on Sunday and give me hope for the next week. You must be in the word yourself, getting hope from the word. Amen? My job on a Sunday, our job on a Sunday is equipping the saints. Ephesians 4, if you read from verse 11, what does it say? It says, God has given the ministry gifts for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Who's supposed to do the work of ministry? The saints. These are the days of the saints. Not the hired holy man from the north. You know what I'm talking about. There's always the hired holy man from the north. And he's the one with the power. And he's the one with the secret mystery. And we'll never tell you what that secret mystery is. Because there are levels. You know what I'm talking about, right? Then you say, please teach me, teach me. Oh, hired holy man from the north. One day I'll teach you the secret mystery. Do you know what the term occult means? Occult means darkness, secret. Be very careful when everything is to do with secrets. If someone says to you, I want to share with you the secret to this and this and this, that's okay because they're sharing it with you. The moment they say, when you're ready, we will let you know the secret. I'm, I'm telling you right now, the very nature of the occult is darkness and secrecy. What did Jesus do? Jesus says, hey guys, if you believe in me, all this stuff that you see me doing, you will also do. And you will do even greater. 
Nowadays, some people are like, you know what? I'll always be a level above you. You'll never do this stuff. Just stay there. Be dependent on me. Pay me the money. Show me the money. Ah, then you'll be okay. I'm trying to show you the contrast between what we see going on nowadays and the ministry of Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we must be able to spot that, wait a minute, there's something not quite right here. Amen? I know, Paul, don't say bad things about other people and so on. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not mentioning names. Then now it's up to you now to study these things. So if you go somewhere, you can press pause and say, but this is not what I was taught. Amen. Okay. So there's a shift in what you do. There's a shift in what you do. Are you going to praise and pray regardless of the circumstances? And then finally, there's a shift in power. There's a shift in power. If you continue in that narrative, Acts chapter 16, 29 to 37, it's very interesting because these guys were released from prison. The jailer who was supposed to be looking after them in prison and so on, he calls for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He ends up saying, guys, what must I do to be saved? There's a shift in power. This Roman official who's supposed to be strong and mighty is now saying, please, I want my family saved. I want to encourage you, as you step out to proclaim Christ, operate in the authority of Christ. You know, sometimes I will do my seminars in various places, and people will say to me, one recent situation, one of the main organizations, there was an auditorium there, and the one guy said, Paul, I think the problem was you did your talk at the start of the year, before our boss had given his team talk. So what you said then set the tone for the rest of the year for us. Paul, maybe it should have been the other way around. I explained to him in a session I had. And I said, if a leader in an organization has said, Paul, do your thing, I take authority. I said, often before I do talks for you guys, I will go into that auditorium and I'm praying. I'm pacing up and down. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, may you be the primary authority in this place. And things begin to happen where I'm now setting certain things in place, especially around morality, around righteousness, around people not gossiping. And I'm doing that because that's what God has called me to. When you want to preach with power in whatever context, there'll be a shift. There'll be a shift in authority. Is everyone following? Take that authority. If you are strong in your industry and people say you're in charge of that team, take charge. The moment you start blaming your boss and blaming other people, do you know what you're doing? It's what we call self-deauthorization. It's where you literally say, I'm no longer an ambassador for Christ. Amen? That's why Jesus says, all authority in earth and heaven has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. The degree to which I will make disciples is the degree to which I'm yielding to Christ's authority. Amen? When I'm going and I'm preaching, I'm not suggesting Jesus. I am proclaiming Jesus. And there's a conviction that comes. Those are the six shifts I want to share with you this morning. 
Let's have a shift in power. Yes, Mpo, you can come. It's fine. You can come and tinkle away. Yielding to Christ's authority. Operating through you. Proclaim Christ as you're tinkling away. Amen. When he raises his hand like this, I don't know if he's saying no, pastor, no, pastor. He's saying I receive, pastor, I receive. All right? So there's a shift in power. Let's function in power. There's a shift in what we do, how we respond or react. That's why Jesus, in the Gospels, what did he say? He says, pray for those who hurt you. Do good to those who persecute you. Our response is different. There's a shift in your assignment. What assignment has he given you? Function in your lane. Stay in your lane. That's where the grace is. Don't try and do what sister Adelia has been called to do. What brother Tabs has been called to do. What sister Marapeng has been called to do. And just in case people think that we always use sister and brother before we call people. What Tumi Blue has been called to do. What Julia has been called to do. Do what God has called you to do. That's where the grace is to proclaim. Amen. There's a shift in citizenship. There's a shift in what you confront. These are the shifts. Let's pray. Maybe you are here this morning and you, you've known the Lord, but you've been far from him. And you're saying, you know what? I want to be discipled. I actually want to be discipled. I want to be taught the ways of the Lord. I'm coming back to Jesus. Lift your hand up if you're here. Saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Anyone, anyone, anyone. Okay. If you're here this morning and you're in a place where you want to proclaim Christ. And any one of these shifts spoke to you. Just stand where you are and we will pray. Maybe you've been accepting things of the world. And you're saying, uh -uh, I'm a citizen of heaven. I refuse. Just stand where you are. Maybe you're in a space where you don't walk in authority. You've kind of just been this person who just is afraid of people. Stand where you are. Maybe you're in a place where you've been fighting so much the wrong battles and you know you need now to be doing warfare. You've wasted your time fighting people, arguing about this and that, and you're saying, uh-uh, I want to fight the right battles now. Stand where you are. Maybe you're in a space in your life where you're not responding properly to stuff. You're not responding properly. You're not like Paul and Silas who began to sing praises to God while they were in prison. You whine a lot. Father, you see your people here as they respond to you. As they surrender, as they trust you for breakthrough. Help them, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Maybe you're in that place. I know there are people here. You're in that place where you've compromised. 
you've listened and entertained you've listened to it could be a sangoma it could be fortune tellers you've got that in your roots and you want to renounce it you've made wrong covenants stand where you are you made wrong covenants and you're saying i want to break this off my life you've run to people buying their oils buying their salts buying all sorts of things because you want that 24 hour miracle you've put your trust in man instead of in Jesus telling you these are things to renounce these are things to renounce because they follow you in your life if you need to stand for that just also stand don't be ashamed you've gone to the wrong places and you're saying i'm leaving that behind just pray with me now lord jesus i surrender to you take over my life i want to proclaim your gospel i want to pursue you and you alone keep me focused on your one true gospel i renounce all other things fill me with power i want to walk in authority I want to experience all six of these shifts. Help me to shift in my associations. I disentangle myself where I've been unequally yoked in business partnerships, in relationships. I renounce that. I choose to follow you Jesus. I choose to respond differently. When I go through trials I will praise you and I will keep praying in Jesus mighty name and the people of God said amen and amen